We're in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 through 14. If you would stand for reading of the Word. Now, you remember where we're at. Chapters 4 and 5, we're in the throne room of God. And John is getting a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who's going to be coming to take over planet Earth. The one who is on the throne is going to be able to carry out what we see in chapters 6 through 18 during the tribulation period. If you would read with me, Worthy is the Lamb is our title. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessings, and every creature which is in heaven and earth and under the earth and such as are under the sea, in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. The 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. This is the word of God. Our Father, we thank you for this word, the inerrant, infallible, everlasting word of our God that we build our lives on, that we stand on a hill to defend. We thank you for this time to study this word. It's a privilege and an honor to do this in such a free setting. Thank you that we have the privilege of meeting together corporately. Thank you for each person that is here that has carved out time today. And Father, I thank you for those people that are watching this today. May we all hear from you things that we need to hear. We are indeed in difficult times. But we have an overcoming God that will help us through any difficulty that we face. You are the rod of iron up our spine. You are our strength. You are an ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear what is coming. We stand on the promises of our God. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, as you know by now, the theme is Jesus is coming, and he's coming in judgment. He's coming in judgment. And like I said, chapters 4 and 5 was the throne of God. Remember, Jesus is, is coming to take the scroll. He will take the scroll out of Father's right hand, and he will assume his king's position. He is now high priest. He's making intercession for his church. But oh, when the church is in heaven, in chapters 4 and 5, Jesus changes his role to king. He no longer needs to intercede because I believe the church is in heaven. And he's going to take the scroll and he's going to start to open the seals of the tribulation period, which, by the way, is the worst time in the history of the world. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 21. He says, For then there should be Great tribulation, and he's talking about from the mid-tribulation on. I think the whole seven-year period is a tribulation, but after the abomination of desolation, Antichrist changes, and Antichrist then starts to exert his authority and tries to kill every Jew he can possibly kill and every believer that he can find. Such has not been seen since the beginning of the world, and this time nor ever shall be. Now, the question of the ages that we have gone over here is this, will the church go through the tribulation? 
Now, all I can say is, I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm hoping. I think we're right on this, but hey, we're open to it, to, to different views. But anyway, we believe in a, at least I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I think there's ample evidence for that. However, there's many people that believe in a mid-trib or a pre-wrath rapture. But I will ask you, which one brings you the most comfort? Escaping the whole thing or, or, or making it through half of it. And by the way, the ones who make it through half, they go through these sealed judgments, one-fourth of planet Earth dies. 1.5 billion people die during that first half that isn't quite so bad as the last half. Now, that's a lot of carnage, isn't it? I don't want to be here for that. I don't want to be here for that. Now, we have some hope scriptures in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You know as the, are the rapture verses that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we who remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then he says these words in verse 18. Comfort one another with these words. And then he goes, Paul goes into chapter 5, talking about the day of the Lord, the day of the tribulation period, the day that all this carnage is going to be poured out on planet Earth. So it seems to me that the, that the sequence of events, church taken, and then day of the Lord. So that's what I see there. So we see the throne of God. We see Jesus as our kinsman redeemer has redeemed us from our sins, has paid the purchase price for us, and now he's going to be carrying out his role as kinsman avenger when he takes back planet earth from Satan's dominion and the earth dwellers that are in rebellion. But he won't do this without giving a tremendous witness to those who are on earth, to the earth dwellers. You know what he does? God in his mercy, he's so merciful, before he pours out his wrath, he extends to people his grace and his mercy. He sends 144,000 Jews for Jesus in Revelation chapter 7 that are sealed, protected from the Antichrist, and are his witnesses through this whole period of time. And then he has the, three witness, or the two witnesses at the wall that minister for three and a half years, prophesying. And then he sends three angels in, in Revelation chapter 14. One of them has the gospel that goes to every person on earth and gives the, bl the blessed gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second one gives us, tells us to, to... I forget what the second one does. I have to look at my notes. The second, oh, the second one does this. Uh, says this, Babylon is destroyed. The religious system, the political system is destroyed. And finally... The third one says, don't take the mark of the beast. The third angel is going to all the humans on earth. Don't take the mark of the beast, whatever you do. Remember, John has been at the throne of God. He has seen Jesus sitting on the throne. He has this sense of who is worthy to open the scroll in chapter 5, verse 2. And in chapter 5, verse 4, an elder steps forward and he says, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he is qualified he will open the scroll to planet Earth. And you can almost hear John gasp with, release, with relief. Who is the person that's going to save us? Who's our rescuer? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Our kinsman redeemer will become our kinsman avenger. And he will pour out his wrath on the earth during the tribulation period. Now, I want you to think about something. On the cross... 
Jesus poured out his wrath on all, excuse me, God poured out his wrath on Jesus, all the sins of the world, all the wrath of God went on to his son. Now that's something very important to, to, to conceptualize. Why is that important? Because I will never experience the wrath of God. All God's wrath went on to his son. So, I want you to think about this. The last three hours that Jesus was hanging on the cross, there was darkness. You remember that? Okay? From, from, from 12 to 3, from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, there was darkness on the face of the earth. Matthew chapter 27, 45 through 46 says this, Now, from the sixth hour, which is 12 noon, until the ninth hour, 3 p.m., there was darkness over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama, sabasthanani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what is happening there in that dark moment? God is pouring out all of his wrath that we deserved onto his son on the cross. That is what is happening there. And Jesus is feeling this for the first time in foreverdom. Jesus is feeling the separation, the separation from his Father, from the Holy Spirit, from the Godhead. Never before has he felt this. And it's grieving to him, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Look, at the wrath of God is a very significant thing to think about. We think about the love of God, but very few people will even talk about the wrath of God. You hardly ever hear this in a church. This is rarely mentioned today. Today, most people are oblivious to the wrath of God, including the church. Most today have a few of Jesus Christ as love, and he is abject, complete love. But Jesus, if you, ref if you refuse the gift of the Father to this world of his Son, you will experience the wrath of God. Most people want the loving Jesus who, who by the way, will give them exactly what they want. And what is real agape love? Giving you what you need, not necessarily what you want. Look, we're depraved. We want a lot of things that are not good for us. Thinking about the wrath of God, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3 makes this clear. Now, this is everyone that is born into the world. This is everyone that is outside of Jesus Christ. This is before you were saved, you were this. Once we walked according to the course of this world, we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, we once fulfilled the desires of our flesh, we were by very nature children of wrath. Now this is a significant thing. Every human born into this world is born to the, under the wrath of God. Now most people don't know that. Most people don't believe that. But this is true. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, Paul elucidates, makes this very clear. Watch what he says. Much more than having been justified by his blood. Now, you are good Bible students. You know what justification is. That's Jesus' blood sacrifice was applied to your life when you received Jesus Christ as your Savior. And now God looks at you as he looks at his Son, pure and holy and clean. You are sinless in the eyes of Father. Okay? That's justified by his blood. We shall be saved from the wrath through him. 
Those who are not justified are under the wrath of God. He goes on to say this, or if when we were enemies, that's the first class if, and it's if and it is so, we are enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we'll be saved by his life. You know what reconciliation is? It's brought back into right relationship with God through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ only. No other world religion will do it for you. It's only through Jesus Christ. And what happens then is that God removes his wrath. He's given you his grace, and now he looks at you as part of his family. I'll tell you, that's an amazing thing. Amazing thing. We avoid the wrath of God. And, th- and by the way, you will not experience his wrath, and don't let anybody put any condemnation on you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No guilt. We have been declared innocent. Folks, this is amazing grace. And that's why John Newton could write, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. God must remove the blinders for us to see. Amazing grace. Folks, only Jesus can take back planet Earth. Only Jesus can restore peace and law and order on this earth. Jesus rises from his seat as his high priest. And he reaches out to the right hand of Father and he takes the scroll. And now he's assuming his king position. And he's going to take over planet Earth. As king, Jesus will put down all of Earth's rebellion. Revelation 11.5 says this, and he shall reign. How long? Forever, forever, forever. Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Now, I want to remind you that this is a Christmas verse, but this is a verse for every one of us every day of our lives. Watch this. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Oh, see, the giving God has given us his son And the government, the rule will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So this is a wonderful person. This is the Lord Jesus they're talking about. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Just think, no more corrupt world governments. Jesus will reign, and all righteousness will break forth. What is he going to do? He will order it. He will establish it with judgment and justice. Even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Think about this. You are living in a world that is marching headlong down. We are not evolving. Antifa, Marxists, they want to think humanity is evolving and we're going to save you and you're going to evolve and we're going to get rid of God. Oh no, you get rid of God, you are devolving. You are plummeting. It's marching headlong towards the decided end. And I believe with the church in heaven... Prior to Jesus opening the first seal, we see the Lamb taking the scroll. It's Jesus who opens the seals. It's Jesus who executes the judgments, not the Antichrist, not Satan. Jesus opens these seals. Jesus is the one coming to establish his eternal kingdom. It's Jesus Christ to the rescue of humanity. He is the one that is worthy, worthy. Worthy is the Lamb to take the scroll. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Verse 8, we read these words. Bow only to Jesus. Now, did you hear that? That's real important today. 
because we're bowing to everything. Bow only to Jesus. We bow only to God. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense as to the prayers of the saints. So, only bow down. Now, notice that there's three waves of praise. It's the, it's the, it's the four living creatures. It's the elders. And in verse 11, we see the angels are included in this group. Hear this. This will come up on the screen. Believers are not to bow to anyone or anything except God. We only bow. Every, every knee shall bow before Jesus Christ one day. We're still here right now. Don't be tempted into bowing to anyone. Please notice, everyone present in this text worships the Lamb. No question about that. And who do angels and mankind worship? Only whom? God. Only God. Matthew 4.10, Jesus is having his three temptations in the wilderness. The third temptation, Satan wants him to worship him. And Jesus says, oh no, Satan, you worship God only. You worship God only. Revelation 19.10 and 22.8 and 9 John is presented with a powerful angel, and both times he bows before the angel, and the angel says, oh no, worship God only. Bow to God only. Now, what we are seeing today in our world, in our culture, is something very, very strange that we have not seen in America. Certainly, they've seen in other cultures, but we have not seen it in this country where people are bowing. What are many doing today to appease the progressive liberal radicals? They are bowing down. What are sports teams doing? The entirety of teams, or most of them, bowing down. What did the Democratic leadership do that you saw in the papers? They bowed down. Now hear this. Bowing down is an act of worship, of submission, paying homage to someone or some cause as an act of worship. And I would encourage you, do not do this. Now, as you see, there is a picture coming up here. And this picture is, when I initially saw this, you know, you get that little Doberman thing going up, and I'm going, these people are crazy. I mean, what is wrong with them? And then as I studied it, I'm thinking, I started feeling more pity for them. I started saying, Lord, they don't know. They don't know you. They are bowing to pander to the group to any group that will get votes. And, they're, and I'm thinking, they're all, they, they need you, Jesus. They need you so badly. And so I went from Doberman up to, God, help them. Open their eyes. Think about this. When Jesus was being crucified with those Roman soldiers who had beat him, put the crown of thorns on his head, eventually speared him in the side, took a club, we're going to take a club and break his legs, but they couldn't break the bones, so they didn't do that because he'd already passed. What did he say before he died? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And you know what Stephen did? Emulating being like his Savior, when he was stoned, he said this, Lord, do not charge this sin against them. These people are blind. And so I pray for them, Lord, open their eyes. Open the eyes of these people, God. Help them to see who you really are. Save them, God. Now, this is contrasted with one lone San Francisco pitcher. His name was Sam Kunrud. He's a second-year relief pitcher for the San Francisco Giants, and he refused to bow. 
Now, you're going to see something. He was confronted by NBC News after a recent game why he didn't bow to the Black Lives Matter movement. He said this, and please let this resonate in each one of your hearts. He says that he is a Christian man, and he can't kneel to anything besides God. Now, that, that's a hero. That's a hero. He said he has some problems with the ideology of the Black Lives Movement, how they lean towards Marxism, how they have negative things to say about the nuclear family, and how they extol the LBGTQ agenda. He says this is not God-ordained. God ordained one man, one woman for life. He says, I just can't get on board with bowing. And I would say he is a brave man. He is a courageous man. And we have a picture here of him, the only one, the only one standing. Now, I want you to suggest to you on any baseball team, football team, basketball team, hockey team, they have a chapel service. And some of these guys go to chapel. But none of them were moved like this man was to say, I will not bow. I will not bow before anything but the Lord Jesus. Don't underestimate the power of peer pressure. It is not just with your kids. It is at every level of life. People want to fit in. We, can you imagine the peer pressure? Can you imagine the applause of heaven? When Stephen was standing giving his testimony, do you know, do you know what happened? You see Jesus move from his sitting position on the throne of God to standing, and he says, I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. Stephen got Jesus' attention, and I would suggest to you that Sam Coonrod got Jesus' attention. He stood when no one else would. There were other people that have done this in history. We're living in a time that we, that we may be called to stand alone for what we believe, stand alone in our culture, stand alone in our workplace, even stand alone in our families. You know, Jesus said he would, he would divide families, mother against, mother against son, son against father, that whole thing. Because he, he, if you're not with him, you're against him. And what people can't understand is we cannot turn our backs on Christ. We cannot compromise this message. It's a life message for us. It's uncompromisable. So many families now are being fragmented. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow to Nebuchadnezzar. Three Hebrews slave stood alone. And I have another picture here of these guys. Now, you remember the story. Nebuchadnezzar had all power. When the sultry, when the, when the harps went out, when all the trumpets were blowing, everybody was supposed to bow before that, that statue, that golden statue that he made of himself. And these three guys, out of who knows... Thousands and thousands and thousands of people in this empire said, we will not bow. And this is how they responded to him. It's recorded in Daniel chapter 3. Our God will deliver us from, from your hand, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. Even if he doesn't, even if we have to die, and many people have done this throughout the ages, they have not bowed and given their life. Don't think this is something that we might not be asked to do. We're seeing radical change here, folks. I used to not like it when, you know, in the 70s, pastors were saying, I'm going to 
do this and I'm going to do that and it's going to be disastrous and I'm going to say, can you give me a little upbeat message here? But we're living in a different time right now. There's never been a time like this in our country. This is a one-off. And folks, it is going in a decidedly bad direction away from God. Verse 9 and 10, folks, never forget this. We are kings and we are priests. And we represent someone much greater than us. Verse 9 and 10. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And what are we going to do? And we shall reign on the earth. Let's develop this a little bit. First of all, the redeemed have a song in their hearts. They sang a new song. This is a song of anticipation of our homecoming, when all will be well. Psalm 96, verse 1 through 3 says this, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Proclaim the good news of His salvation. Do you hear that? Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, his, his wonders among all the peoples, with our world devolving. We are not evolving. We are devolving right before our eyes. I think that the Christian must walk with a spring in their step, their head up, realizing I'm a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a time to go, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Uh, I don't. Uh, no, this. I'm a. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who I am, and I serve Him and Him alone. Sing to the Lord a new song. Why do we do that? Why, with exuberance, we we represent our Lord, that the world may know that God is alive in a world that is saying God is dead. We are saying no. Our God is alive. Our God is alive. Our God is an awesome God. Even if the culture ignores Him. Even if the culture degrades him, even if the culture doesn't want him, we tell them our God is an awesome God. And you can get the Rich Mullins song out and just blast it. You know, our God is an awesome God. He reigns. And you can just belt it out. Sing to the Lord a new song that the world may know. Now, notice in verse 9, who sang a new song? What was the four living creatures and the 24 elders? But who was redeemed to God? It was by your blood. It was not the angels. It's the church. It's the believers. Who are the 24 elders then? I believe the 24 elders are the church. I've mentioned this many times. This is just another proof for that. In verse 10, we see some interesting word usage that we have to go through. So try to pay attention. When I did this study about 12 years ago in, uh, on our Tuesday night, this did not come across very clear. So I didn't do a very good job of explaining it. So I now have a second chance for whoever was there to explain this. David Hawking says this, quote, have made us kings and priests. He says most translations say them, not us. Now if you have somebody saying them, they could be the angel saying them. But if it is the word us, it is the church that is saying us, it is personal for them. Okay? So that's the first thing. Have made us kings and priests. 
And then he says this, consider the following. Now really pay attention, pay attention. There are over 5,000 Greek texts. 95 of these Greek texts have fragments of Revelation. Of those, 24 contain chapter 5, verse 9. Of the 24, one of them, the Alexandrian text, uses the term them. Now, the Alexandrian text is where most translations come from. If you have an NIV, if you have a New American Standard, if you have an ESV, if you have a living translation, any one of these things, most translations come from the Alexandrian text. It's usually it's considered the oldest text. The other group is called the majority text. There's 23 of these texts, the majority text, of which we get the King James and the New King James, say us. So you have one that says them and 23 that says us. Now the weight of the evidence points it to us. And if it's us, then the 24 elders are the church in heaven. Okay? That's important because if you're a mid-tribber or you're a pre-rather, the church is still here. The church isn't in heaven at this point. But if you're pre-trib, the church is in heaven. At least this is a, a worth consideration. Now, there's a lot of folks that have contrary views to this, uh, but I don't think they're right. That's all I can say. But what is not controversial is this, the church being kings and priests. That's not controversial. Believers are kings and priests, and we will reign with him. This is an awesome thought. Now, think about this. What determines your reign, your rule with Jesus? Our faithfulness, our obedience to Jesus while we were here. This is exceedingly important. What we do after we're saved, using the gifts that God gives, gives us, everybody that's saved has a spiritual gift. You are expected to use that gift to edify, to build up the body of Christ. It is a gift that God has given to you to give to others to lift them up. Okay? That's the principle. I cannot say enough about rewards and loss of rewards. While we're here, people go, oh, what's the big deal? I make it into heaven. God makes it a big deal. He says in two places, he talks about the Bema Seat judgment. The Bema Seat judgment is real and it is important. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 11 through 15, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. We've been through to these verses many, many times. Are your works going to last? Are they gold, silver, precious stones, or are they going to be burned up, wood, hay, or stubble? What you have done for Christ will last. What hasn't done will be burned up. One man said the following. He said this. It talks about our lives here on earth. I have these rare moments when the world appears as it really is, transient yet meaningful, wonderful and important. But it won't last forever. It's not the final stop on this journey. For as long as those moments last, I see my work, my wife, my children, my marriage, everything as they really are. Something to be cared for, to be worked hard for, to be grateful for, but they are not the ultimate. Very important. Even in my weakness, they will not have the last say. 
And he then goes on to quote an author named C.T. Studd. And C.T. Studd gives this poem, which most people have heard, so this will be redundant for most, maybe new for a few. It's only one life. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Now, I don't want to underestimate your value in your family, in your children, in your work, because I think we should be all out there. We represent our Lord in all of those venues. But somebody, some people make idols out of work, or idols out of their children, or idols out of their marriage. And the only one that we worship is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. We've discussed William Borden many times. You've heard me talk about this. This is such a stunning thing. He was heir to the Borden fortune. When he was 16 years old, he graduated from high school, very smart man, and his dad says, I want to send you on a world tour. And so William went on a world tour to experience the world. His dad wanted him to experience all the things of the world. You know what William experienced? He experienced God getting hold of his heart. And he saw people in China that needed the Lord Jesus Christ, a Muslim community. And he came back to the United States and his dad didn't want him to have anything to do with Christianity. He wanted him to go to college. So William went to Yale, and he graduated from there. He started Bible studies. There were literally hundreds of kids that got saved in these Bible studies. Then he went on to Princeton, and he started Bible studies there, and the same thing happened. And then he finally, to the chagrin of his family, he decided to be a missionary. And they thought he had wasted his life. And he's on his way to China, and he stops off in Egypt to learn Arabic. And while he's in Egypt, he contracts meningitis and he dies before he gets on the field. And everybody in the papers went out, Borden is dead, Borden is dead. And it just echoed throughout America, what a waste, he had so much. But on the back of his Bible, there were three things that were recorded. Never forget this. May this be said about you. May this be said about you. He said this, no reserves. I hold nothing back from the Lord Jesus Christ. No retreats. There's no turning back. I'm not going to isolate myself. I'm not going to withdraw. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to go for the things of this world. No retreats. And his last words were these, I have no regrets. No regrets for following Jesus Christ to the end. Like Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. May that be said of us. Folks, we are living in a time. This is our time to take a stand for the Lord Jesus. This is not a time for passive Christianity. This is time for us to be rod of iron Christians, the Holy Spirit up our spines, and stand for the truth. Stand for the truth in a culture that's running for the truth. Folks, we're kings and priests, and we are to act like that. Ambassadors, servants, bond servants. May the world see more of Jesus in us than me in us. May my wife see more of Jesus in me than me in me. That's real important. May my children see more of Jesus in me than me in me. How we respond to life's curveballs, I was going to write knuckleballs, curveballs, disappointments, that's very important. How we respond to COVID is important. The lawlessness in our streets, a political system that is corrupt and completely anti-God. As we go through our own personal mess, 
Every one of us, everyone in this room has some personal something they're going through. Whether it's financial, health mess, family mess, whatever it is, we want this, that the world may know that we have been with Jesus. How are we making it through these things? Oh, that the world may know that we have been with Jesus. We are different. How will they know that we have been with Jesus? By our conduct. By how we're acting in all of this stuff. Are we biting our nails? We're we going, oh no, I can't believe what's. I mean, let's be honest. You get up in the morning and you do think, what's next in Portland? What's next in Seattle? What are they going to give up next? Take your eyes off of that onto Jesus. Philippians 1.27 says this. Whatever happens. Now, whatever is what? It's whatever, isn't it? <laughs> whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Why? That the world may know that you have been with Jesus and that things are different. You've been with Jesus and he makes all the difference. And I'll tell you, it just makes me want to break out into worship. Just worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb. And actually, verse 11 through 14, all of heaven breaks out into worship. They do just that. Verse 11 through 14, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. That's an innumerable group of heavenly beings and I believe church, the earthly beings saying with a loud voice, all of heaven, everyone in heaven, this is you. John is projected into the future. You are in this chorus. You are in this choir. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven on earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying everything, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Worthy is the Lamb. All of heaven breaks out into worship. A multitude, all, everybody, worthy. Notice the angels. See, a lot of people have a, an over-interest in angels, but many people have no interest in angels. They don't even believe they exist. Well, notice this. Angels are spiritual beings created by God to carry out his work on earth. They're ministers. They're servants. They, they bring messages like to Mary and Joseph about the birth of Jesus. Remember that? And our Christmas story. They protect God's people. Daniel chapter 6, Daniel's in the lion's den. What does an angel do? Shuts the lion's mouth. We have also entertained angels unaware in Hebrews 13 too. They bring punishment. In 2 Samuel 24, 16, an angel destroyed Jerusalem because David took the census. They patrol the earth. They fight the forces of evil. And I don't know if you remember, when we were in our study of Daniel chapter 10, there was the prince of Persia, a high-ranking demonic entity, and the prince of Greece which I believe Gabriel was going to fight. They do the will of God. They help humans in time of need. Isn't that nice to know? You never know. Angels, folks, are real. They are ministering spirits, and I believe they are intimately involved in our lives. I think, don't think we'll ever know how much until we are 
in that spirit realm. All heaven exclaims this, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Something will be saying loud and clear forever. And I think that we can do this right now. You can practice right now. And we're going to say three times, everybody here with me, number one, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. See, you're getting a jump on it. You're getting a jump on it. Who was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Why is this important to me now? Why is this heavenly scene important to me now? I think for the following reasons. This makes me realize how temporary and transient everything on earth is. We think this is all such a big deal here. We're just passing through aliens and strangers. James helps us with this in James 4.14. What is your life? It's but a vapor, a mist. Here for a moment and then gone, vanishes. Things that are huge deal here are nothing in eternity. Those who have the power and the money and the prestige and think they're great and think they're wonderful and don't have Jesus Christ, big deal here, nothing there. But the little crippled lady, the ignored saint, not revered here, highly revered there. Things that cause me to tribulate. Why is it important that I know this scene? Things that cause me to tribulate, to have anxiety, that decrete tumult in my being, and I call these joy stealers. Every one of them has, we all have joy stealers that come into our lives, are a waste of time. Do not let anything steal your joy. To lose your joy, you must give it away. Do not do it. Now, let's be honest. There's some crushing things that come in that can take your joy momentarily. Momentarily. You don't live in that. You don't live in that. And I'll tell you, tell you what to do. Do not allow anything, any mess, to steal your joy. Let me go on with this, and I'll give you the cure. This is the reason that Jesus said four times in Matthew 6, don't worry. And by the way, this is a command. This is an imperative in the Greek. Do not worry. Do not let anyone take your joy. This is not a suggestion. Again, it's a command. And let me ask you this question, and I'm going to say it two different ways, and which way will help you to remember the best? Worry, what's it good for? Or can I give you this one? Worry, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. Yes, okay. The time-tested cure for worry. I need this. Possibly you need this. When worry barges into our lives, and it always is going to barge, it's unwelcomed, it's unwelcomed, join the chorus of heaven with a loud voice, transfer your, 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 your view, what you're visioning, what you're concentrating on from the worry to your God. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Refocus on the Lamb. Jesus is our peace. We are to dwell in Him, not the worry. Never has there been a chorus of worship as will be seen on that day when we are before the throne crying, worthy is the Lamb. And remember this. Let's digress for just a moment. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 4, no one was found worthy to open the scroll and John was beside himself 
And then the, then the elder comes forward and says, Oh, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He is the one. Only Jesus can step forward and take the book of destiny out of the right hand of the Father. Only Jesus is worthy to rule and reign over all history. Only Jesus is worthy of all of our praise, all of our honor, all of our glory. Only the, lion, the lamb, the lion of the tribe of Judah is to be our focus. Folks, beware of worship stealers, joy stealers, earth messes that take away our, our focus from our God to the mess. Oh no, we got the mess, we transition from there to our God. The faster you do that, the quicker the worry will flood away. Cultivate, and I think this is more important now than any time in my life, cultivate a deep relationship of trust in Jesus. You will one day need that relationship to get you through something. Things are happening now unprecedented. Spend time with Him. Approach God rightly. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. As he, you know what that means? As He really is, not as we make Him up. People like to make up Jesus in their mind. Oh no, we worship Him according to the Word. Allow me to close with Psalm 100. And I'll read this to you. Psalm 100. This is a word for each one of us today. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands, all you nations, all you peoples. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and that we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. You know what that is? That's intimacy. He knows us well. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, says in John 10. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Enter His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. Oh, enter before our God with exuberant praise and worship. For the Lord is good. Can you say that with me? The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And watch this. His truth endures to all generations. Why am I emphasizing that? Because truth today is, is few and far between. People are making up their own truth. There are people that say you can't know what truth is. In postmodernism, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. No one's truth is it's exclusive. Oh no, that's a lie. There is truth and is bound up in our God. Never forget this, folks. Our approach to life that the world may know, we enter his presence with a joyful shout. We, we serve the Lord with gladness. We are the people, the sheep of his pasture. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Through this, all the worry creators, the joy stealers, through all the good, the bad, and the ugly of life, remember, never forget, I don't care how awful it looks at the moment, the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. Now, that's not easy when you're going through the, the mud of life. But you have to remember, in the end, you will realize this truth. The Lord is good. 
Many today, like Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate asked, what is truth? John 18, 37 through 39. Remember, Jesus is before the throne of Pilate. And Pilate has all authority. He can squash Jesus like that. He thinks he can. Jesus says, hey, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were here, my servants would come and fight. I could call them down. I could call down myriads of angels from heaven, just squash you like a gnat. And Pilate said to him this, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that, that I am a king. For this cause I was born, for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. And then he makes this astounding statement that most of you in here have acknowledged. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him in a cynical manner, what is truth? And our world today says to us in a cynical manner, what is truth? What is truth? Well, we know what the truth is. In a world wondering what is the truth, you can share with them the truth. What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said in John 14, 17, that he would send the spirit of truth, which indwells each one of us. You know when you are acting untruthfully. The spirit of God convicts you immediately, and you just go, oh, this hurts. Oh, I better tell the truth. Yeah. And then God's word is truth in John 17, 17. But guess who hides the truth? Let me tell you who hides the truth. It's the triunity of evil in this world. It is the world system governed by Satan. It is our own flesh. My flesh wants its own way. So I will twist and contort the truth to get my needs met any way that I can. The flesh is evil. And of course, the devil. Satan is a master at concealing and clouding the truth. His scheme is that everybody's truth is truth, and that is not true. It's simple. God's word is truth, and we trust God. These truths you can die for in our world today, and many are doing just that, dying for the truth of the word of God. Don't rule this out. Remember, your life is this. It's but a vapor, here for a moment and gone. What you do here is exceedingly important with the Lord Jesus. The Spirit constantly cries out, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb. That the world may know, folks, that you have been with Jesus. Now look at we only bow to him. The world is bowing down to false gods, to false Elohims. All of India worships false gods, all of Islam, false gods, all of Buddhism, false gods, all the isms in the world. These are all under the control of Satan. Every world system, every world religion is under Satan. Every world, the governments, the, the way things operate on this earth, that is from his kingdom. I will only bow to Jesus Christ. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I receive the gift of salvation. I bow to only him. Now, the next picture is this, and I love this one because it pictures us as a warrior armored up with our armor on, fully prepared for battle. I bow to none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. This is my Savior. This is my ruler. This is my king. This is the one I bow to. I will bow to no system. I will bow to no other person. And again, many people 
have died for that. Not bowing. That the world may know Jesus Messiah, the Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world. That the world may know only Jesus is worthy to take the scroll and to initiate the judgments that we're going to see starting next week in chapter 6. That the world may know worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. And last time we finished with the word Selah. Remember, that's an ending in, in half the Psalms. Reflect in what you have heard. Take a moment today to pause and consider what you have heard. And then take a moment to lift up and exalt the name of Jesus. Now we're going to be closing with an old song. And it's called Ancient of Days. You know, blessing and honor, glory and power. If you're really old, you remember that. If you're young, you might not. But anyway, we're going to close with that. And I want you to focus on the words because all glory and honor goes to our Lord. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study, the, again, the truth of the Word of God. Lord, you've given us a vision of the throne of God. You've told us what is coming. We know that the chaos is, is ramping up. We know that our world is devolving and not evolving. And we know that it's all going towards a one-world government and globalism and that sort of thing. We don't really know where we're at on this timeline. Only you do. But we do know there's an election coming up. This will tell us much. Lord, I pray that while we are here, while you have given us life, that we represent you as you are, that we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and we follow you. We can't do this in our own strength. We ask you to fill us with your spirit. Give us, to, give us courage as men and women of God to represent you as you really are to a culture that's dying. And help us to see these people as you see them. You love them, God. You love people. And I pray that we will be able to speak to those who are lost and that you'll open their eyes and they'll come into your family. Lord, I pray that you'll just do miracles. Miracles this week. Miracles in our own families. Bring healing. Miracles in relationships. Healing. Miracles in the physical healing and the spiritual healing and the emotional healing. Lord, you are our God and we turn to you for help. Fill us with your spirit to overflowing. Give us a spring in our step and a spirit of encouragement as we face this world that is running from you. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.